But it is awesome. But we'll get into our, our message this morning, uh, continuing in our series, The King is Coming. How many of you know that? The King is Coming. Well, we had, a, I don't know about you, I just had a great time in worship. You know, there's something about just being able to shout with a group of people and to believe the promises of God together, uh, to get excited about the coming King and everything that He has in store for us. We've been in this series over the last couple of weeks leading up into Easter, um, for the most part taking a historical look at the way uh, kingship was understood in Israel, that uh, you know God was Israel's original king for almost 200 years. Uh, he was their king, and then one day they said, we don't want God to be our king anymore. We want an earthly king. And the fallout that takes place from that, because people choose to be led by themselves or another king instead of God. Last week we took a look at idolatry, and the idea that there are things in our lives that maybe we sometimes put ahead of relationship with Jesus. And by this simple definition, anything that I'm giving more time and attention to than Jesus can be an idol in my life. Now, again, I'd love to say that means everybody gets to quit their job and go join a commune. Uh, yes, you have to go to work, but the reality is we know that we have things, probably, and what we focused on mostly last week were screens. Uh, we're given an awful lot of time to TV and to internet and to our phones and to tablets and everything, and then telling ourselves we don't have time for Jesus. But there's this king that is coming. And, and this really all plays out on this day, which is Palm Sunday. Uh, if you didn't know that, this is a, a very significant day leading up to Easter because it's on this day that, that Jesus came into Jerusalem as a king, as a conqueror to fulfill what God said he was going to do. And much of Jesus' ministry to this point has all been very private. In fact, we read in Scripture that they said they wanted to make him his, their king, and he's like, no, 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 I'm not going to be your king. Uh, and there are times when he, he, he does the best marketing scheme of all time to make sure that everybody hears about him. He says, keep it a secret. It Doesn't that work, right? A couple of years ago, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Carmen? Uh, the Christian singer Carmen, he came to my church and we were, we were having him come in to do a concert. And my secretary said, how should we get the word out? And I said, tell everybody to keep it a secret. That way everybody will know, right? Isn't that the best way to get everything, right? So just so you know, our Easter service next week is a big secret. Please don't tell anybody, okay? Just keep that to yourselves. Uh, but no, Jesus comes in and he says, this is the time. There's about to be a transition. I'm stepping into the, the public role of Messiah to go in and to establish my everlasting kingdom. So we read this in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 10. We really want to take some time to digest this this morning. Starting with verses 1 through 7, it says this. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. This is right outside of Jerusalem. Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. <clears throat> if anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and they will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Very significant moment here that's taking place. Uh, 
for those of you who may not know this, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the Gospels, and they tell us about Jesus. Each one of them had kind of a different goal in mind when they were writing them. Matthew's goal is he wanted people to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. And this is really important, and you'll read several times through the book of Matthew where he says, this took place to fulfill this. This took place to fulfill this. And this is so important because even now in our world today, we are living with this ideology that prevails that Jesus was just a good guy. He was just another prophet, just a teacher, just a person. But we have to embrace Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, or we have to completely throw him out. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his book, Mere Christianity, tackled this idea. And he said it really bothers him that people want to talk about Jesus like he's a good man. He says Jesus can't be a good man because he said he's the Son of God. And can, can I just say, if I ever get up on a Sunday morning and say I'm the Son of God, you should go Old Testament on me and stone me. All right? That's not a good man, that's not a good teacher, not a good preacher. But Jesus made that statement because that's who he was. That's who he is. And so C.S. Lewis goes on to say, this, this was somebody who would be a lunatic if they think that they are the son of God and they're not. And, and would either have to be someone who should be put in an insane asylum or cast out as the spawn of hell. We can't look at Jesus in those terms and think of him as though he's just a good man. He has to be either the Messiah or he is a distraction from Satan. And so Matthew wants to make this case to them. And, and what he's giving them first and foremost is the king's credentials. He says, yes, the king is coming. Jesus has come. But I need you to give, I need you to understand a little bit of background about why we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And there are a lot of people who, who through studying scripture, have come up with differing numbers over the total number of prophecies that Jesus would have to fulfill to be the Messiah. The most conservative number is 55. Guess how many of them Jesus fulfilled? 54. No, 55. He got them all, right? That would be really disappointing. Everybody would be like, what's the one he didn't? He promised a Chick-fil-A in every town, and here we are. No, there are things, and, and, and so there are a bunch of these prophecies in, in here, a couple of them just to share with you. Uh, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, is, the prophecy says that a star will rise from you, Jacob. You know, we look at that during Christmas time, the star that rose in the east, that's what led the wise men to find Jesus. Second Samuel 7, verses 12 through 14, tells us that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. And so the beginning of Matthew, he goes through that lineage and says, listen, you can trace uh, Jesus all the way from Adam, all the way through King David, all the way to where he is now to, to make that case. Um, Isaiah 9, 6-7 tells us that the Messiah would be born as a child. Not as a conquering hero, but as a child born to a virgin. Micah 5, 2 tells us that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. All of these things that he promised. And then Matthew brings one up here that is in Zechariah 9, 9, which we can read here as well. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion, which is Jerusalem. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble. Riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, I've heard numerous arguments about the validity of Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. One of which is, well, 
probably what happened is Jesus did these things and then somebody else went back into some of these older books of the Bible and just kind of penciled in, yeah, Jesus is going to have to do these things. Well, wrong. We have manuscripts from those books that have been dated by scientists to be older than the time of Jesus. We know they were written before Jesus was born. Or maybe they'll make this argument, well, how do we know that what was written about Jesus actually took place? Here's how we know, because it was written during the time of Jesus, and if they'd have written something that took place, people would have said, no, that's not the way it happened. But it did happen this way. This is recorded, just as if you were writing a book about something that took place today. These are the the remarks and the recordings of what Jesus' ministry looked like. We have them. And Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah that was going to come and save the world and establish his kingdom forever. This is so crucial to us as we're looking at this idea of a coming king. The king is coming and the king is Jesus. And, and, you know, we've kind of talked about this last week with idolatry. He doesn't share his throne with anybody. He and he alone sits in that place in our lives. But here's what takes place then. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people were around him shouting, Praise to God for the Son of David. Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heavens. Now, I want us to fully understand this moment here. It's pretty chaotic. Jesus is coming into town. He's riding on a colt. The reason that phrase is used, for those of you who maybe don't have animals, I know, where's Bill at? Bill, Bill, you've got donkeys, right? And, and do donkeys just let you sit on them and ride them? No, they are not a fan. And, and so while you might be able to make the claim that a trained donkey would let you sit on it and ride it, Matthew's saying, no, this is a donkey's colt, meaning it is an untrained, unbroken animal, and Jesus just sits on it and he rides into town. And then they start throwing their garments down on the ground, and and then when they run out of garments, they, they go and they get palm branches. Now, how many of you have ever seen a palm tree? Praise the Lord. Go see one this summer. It'll be fun. We don't have them in Pennsylvania. Here's the thing about palm trees. Their branches, not so accessible from the ground. Right? So the only way, they're they're literally shimmying up these trees, ripping branches off and tossing them down, and then they're going over and laying, like this is the scene that's erupting as Jesus is coming into town riding on an untamed donkey, and people are laying all this stuff down. The crowd's excitement is palpable. They just can't contain it. They are so excited by everything that's taking place. And there's a, a group in the front that probably knows a lot more about Jesus. And they're the ones shouting, glory to God, glory to the one who comes in the name of the, of the Lord, glory to the, joint, the heir of King David, all these things that they're saying. And then there are other people just kind of laying this stuff down. And the crowd is so excited about this. But then something else takes place. And this is what I really wanted to spend our time focusing on this last verse. Matthew 21, verse 10. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. And here's their question. Who is this? What? Like, people are climbing trees and ripping down branches and throwing their coats on the ground and letting this guy walk on it with, you know, I don't know about you. I don't own a lot of coats. 
I don't want somebody's donkey walking on my coat. I'm certainly not going to do it for somebody that I don't know who they are. And this is the, the scene that's taking place. It literally says the whole city of Jerusalem is looking at this and they're just so excited and they're like, who are we doing this for? <laughs> yeah, give me another. Wow. Like, what a bunch of dummies. It'd be like the equivalent of, you know, a limousine pulls up out here in front of the church and suddenly everybody's swarming around it taking pictures. You'd just be like, who is it? Who, who, who's that? Whoa. You wouldn't care who it is. It's somebody famous, right? So it's really exciting. Whoa, somebody famous came to Family Life Church today? Wow, I want to get that picture. I want to get it. And this is what they're doing. They're laying stuff on the ground. They're laying down their garments. They're tearing down branches. People are shouting Hosanna, but there's a whole bunch of people in the city, probably an overwhelming majority, that's doing all this while going, who are we doing this for? And you know, there's, there's just something to this moment that really hits me. This crowd is so fickle. It's this crowd that is all worked up and excited that's shouting, Hosanna, glory to God. Praise be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They're shouting all these things. But within four days' time, they're going to be the same people shouting, crucify Him. Kill Him. Hang Him on a cross. Destroy him. The crowd is so fickle. But the problem with the crowd is the confusion of the bystanders. There's this group, you know, there's this, this inner circle, and they know Jesus, right? The inner circle knows who he is. They know what he represents. They know the fulfillment of the prophecies. They know everything that's been spoken about the coming Messiah. They know all this. And they're the ones that are super excited. But then there's another circle outside of that would be the bystanders. And the bystanders are the one looking at this. And they're all excited too. But they're the ones that are asking, who is this? Why are we doing this? What, what's going on? In church, the bystanders are the ones that I want to talk about this morning. Because a bystander's confusion is that they get caught up and enraptured by the excitement of the crowd, but they have no idea who it is that they're worshiping. They're so excited by what everybody else is doing. Let me maybe put this into focus on what this looks like in a contemporary setting. We come into a church service. And everybody stands up because the music started. And maybe somebody's like, why are we doing this? I don't know. Everybody else is standing. Service ends. We're singing songs, right? Why are we singing? I don't know. Everybody else is singing. Maybe it's time to sit down. It's time to be quiet. Why are we doing this? I don't know. Everybody else is doing it. It's time to be quiet and listen to the preacher. Why? I don't know. Because that's what everybody does. It's that same question that they were asking as Jesus is walking by. They're, why are we doing this? Who is this? What's all the fuss about? What is the real big deal here? Church, I look around and I, I see a generation that is really excited about the idea of Jesus, but that just doesn't know him. And I don't, I don't say that in a demeaning way. I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody. But I can prove it to you. 
When I hear statements from people who are like, well, I don't like that kind of worship music. I I just have to share this just briefly. Worship's not about you. It's about Jesus. And I guarantee you that if there's a song that's being sung that glorifies His name, He's not sitting in heaven going, no, I don't like it. They should have done that in like three, four time, not four, four time. Like, and what's that drummer doing? The bass was off. It's too upbeat, too perky. You know, Father, do you hear what I'm saying? It's just perky. That scene doesn't play out in heaven. When we sing to give glory to God, that's the scene that plays out in heaven. The Father in heaven standing there receiving glory from his children. But as bystanders, we look at it. I don't like it. I don't like this, or I don't like that. I, I, I think this should be different, or that should be different. Listen, if one of those is your thing, I'm not trying to step on your toes this morning, but there's a reality within Christianity today of a group that we look at these things and we're so consumed by them instead of being consumed by Jesus. People who, well, we'll come late because I don't really want to do all that singing stuff. Now, why do we sing? I don't, I'm not even a good singer. I don't want to sing. That's not the kind of songs I like, or I'm, you know, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about the King. You know, we live in a world that more and more is shouting, crucify. Get him out. Get Jesus out of our society. Get Jesus out of our government. Get Jesus out of our courts. Get Jesus out of our schools. Get Jesus out of our families. Get Jesus out of our media. Get Jesus out of TV and radio and music. Get Jesus out of the... I mean, they just want Him gone. Crucify Him. Why? Because they don't know who He is. And Jesus, He looked at that crowd... And he looked down on them and you know what he said? Oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They just don't know. Church, it's so crucial for us to get beyond the bystanders' understanding of who Jesus is. That he desires so much more for us than religion. If you've been coming to this church for any period of time, watching us online, you probably heard me say this. You might even go as far as to say, wow, that guy's really anti-religion. That's weird for a pastor. I am. I am one million percent anti-religion. Because that's not what Jesus died for. He did not come riding into Jerusalem as a conquering hero and hang on a cross so that I can go through the motions of singing songs and reading the right scriptures and standing and sitting and kneeling and whatever else just for him. No, that is not what he died for. He came so that we, you, me, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members could have relationship with him. It is huge, church. The king is coming and we don't know who he is. The world around us, what's, what's the big deal about? Isn't Easter just about candy? I get a chocolate bunny, right? It better not be one of those hollow ones. That is a ripoff. <laughs> like, what? That is a ripoff. Like, somebody buys you a giant Easter candy, and you're like, whoa! And you bite into it, and it just crumbles, and you're like, oh. 
curse you. We've all been there. But that's not what Easter's about. That is not what Easter's about. Easter is about the Son of God coming down, giving up every right and privilege of being the King of Heaven, to be born as a child, to live among humanity, to be sinless, to ride into town a group amid a group of worshipers that he knew within a few days would curse him. But he loved him anyway. He even went so far as to pray before his own crucifixion and beg God in heaven, God, if it is at all possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. But he looked at you. He could see you. He could see your family and your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers. He saw your face. And he said, if this is what it's going to take, I would pay that price because I love them. Church, I get excited about big crowds. It's fun. Yesterday was awesome. We had thousands of people here yesterday. Awesome day. But there are crowds that have praised Jesus on one day and called for his crucifixion on the next. I don't want to just raise up big crowds. I want to help you. I want to help me. I want to help our kids and our community come to know this coming King. Because he came for one thing. He did not come to overthrow the Roman Empire. That's why they didn't accept him. They're like, if he can't establish a new kingdom, he's not actually the Messiah. He didn't come for that. He came for a more unconquerable victory. for The human heart. He said, I want your heart. We were singing that song a minute ago that says, uh, nothing else, nothing else. I just want you. I just want you. Jesus would echo that same thing if he could speak to you this morning. I don't want your rituals. I don't want, in fact, if we read through some of the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, Zechariah, they, they speak on God's behalf and they're just like God is saying repeatedly, keep them. Keep your religious festivals. Keep your sacrifices. Keep all that stuff that you think is so religious and holy. Keep it. I don't want it because it's just lip service that means nothing. You keep doing it. You keep saying it. You keep acting like it. But your hearts are so far from me that I don't even know you. He is after our hearts. It is the one thing that we can give him. And so I just want to challenge you with this as we're leading into these last couple days before Easter. It would be very easy for us on a Sunday like today to become just as excited as that crowd. We even had an awesome worship service. Jump up and down and clap and shout victory. Praising Jesus as the one who brings victory in the areas where the enemy means destruction. We could be that crowd. But we could watch Jesus pass by and just totally miss who he is. Unless we first say, be the king of my heart. Come be the king of my heart, Lord. I want to be caught in your presence. I want to sit at your feet. I don't want to ask anything of you. I don't want to demand anything of you. I just want to be where you are. I just want to give you my heart and remember that you're enough. That's what this king is coming for, church. 
That's what he's coming for. He wants your heart. Will you pray with me? God, it is insurmountable to even consider the conquest that it takes to overcome the human heart. These hard hearts, God, that are so easily distracted. These hard hearts, God, that find it difficult to be humbled, surrendered, submitted to you. And God, I I just pray for each of us, Lord, that we would not be like the crowd that just does what everybody else is doing and just acts religious and goes through the motions, meanwhile missing out on who you really, truly are. God, just as we were singing earlier, I truly hope that we can repent of it, God. Truly say, God, I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. God, I'm sorry when I just sang another song. God, I'm sorry when I just went to another church service. When I just read a little something in a devotion. God, I'm sorry when I made it about those things instead of relationship with you. God, we invite you to come and to overwhelm us with your goodness so that we might receive you as the coming king. As we're in prayer, I just always want to give the opportunity. Maybe you're here this morning and you might be visiting or maybe you've been in this church your whole life. You can just sense in and of yourself, I just there's something tugging at me and I, I can feel it. And I know that I want more for my life than just religion. I know that I want more for my life than just following the crowd and doing what the crowd is doing. I want relationship with Jesus. I want everything that he has and I want to give him my heart. If that's you, I just want to ask you to slip up a hand. I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. I want Jesus and nothing else. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you. Can I ask you to stand with me as we prepare to close? There were a number of you who raised your hand and said, that's where I'm at. I want relationship with Jesus. I want more than just religion. I don't want to lead you in a prayer, but here's how this works. You can be just like the crowd and say, Hosanna. You can be just like the crowd and say this prayer. But unless it comes from your heart, it has no value. And so I want to lead you in this prayer. And my encouragement to you is if you mean it to say it from yourself, God, this is my heart, my heart's cry to you. I want to invite you to be the king of my life. And I want to help you to do that this morning. So will you pray this with me? King Jesus, I invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. I reject religion to embrace a relationship with you. I choose you, Jesus, and nothing else. God, thank you for loving each and every one of us. And I pray for the many in here who made that decision to say, I want to follow Jesus. 
God, as we're looking into this upcoming week, I pray that we would not be so distracted by the different places we have to go and things to do, but that we would just really settle into your faithfulness, your goodness, God, that surrounds us. And that, Lord, your name would be made great in our hearts and lives. Help us to choose in every moment to draw close to you, to worship you, to surrender our hearts to you, and to stop just following the crowd or following religion or whatever it looks like in our lives. We want to be caught up in your presence. We want to sit at your feet. We want to invite you and to spend time with you and to profess that you matter more than anything else. And I pray that you'll be glorified, God, as we remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. One decision, but it's the first one of many. If you made that decision today, can I ask you to text us uh, Jesus FLC at 94,000. We would love to connect with you and resource you and walk with you as you are taking your first steps in allowing Jesus to be the king of your heart. You can talk to one of our pastors. You can talk to one of our prayer team that will be up here. Uh, but let somebody know that you made that decision this morning. If you need prayer, they'll be up here to pray with you and to spend that time with you, our prayer team. But Lord bless you. Have a wonderful day and love on each other for the glory of God.